Hello and welcome to Birth Trauma Training for Birth Workers. I'm your host, Dr. Erin Bow, clinical psychologist and coach, mother of two traumatic births myself. This podcast is all about helping the helpers and supporting and training birth workers to feel connected and confident to navigate birth trauma. Advocacy and activism starts with conversations. My legacy is not going to be one of sitting around and saying, oh, well, that's just the way birth is. We can't change the system. Let's raise our voices while raising our vibrations. Trauma work isn't all dark and shadow. We can find light in without making light off. I want you to find growth, passion and purpose. Go back to the love, the joy, humanity that brought you to birth work in the first place. This podcast is also available in video format where guests have said, yes, let me be visible. Head on over to my YouTube channel, which is Dr. Erin Bow. Now, before we start, if you've been enjoying this podcast and you're listening on iTunes, can you hit pause for a second and leave me a review? I want these stories and support and messages of hope and growth to reach as many people who are interested in birth as I possibly can. Now, to do this, I need reviews. Reviews help the algorithm and they show the podcast to more people. There is no money in this for me. This podcast is just a small part of me being the change I want to see. It's also an excuse for me to shift out of mum life for, you know, an hour or so and have meaningful conversations with other grown-ups who are not quite as invested in fart jokes and Paw Patrol. I love stories. This is why I do what I do. This is why I do this podcast. Sharing stories can be such soul medicine. I really do believe that as healers and helpers, we cannot walk this path alone. We need support, a sounding board, and a circle, either a physical one or a metaphorical one for storytelling. Could you even count on one hand the people in your life who are willing to challenge your ego and call you out on your desire to just stay comfortable in your life, to draw your attention to things that you may take for granted, who make a point of saying, okay, here's this thing you say you don't agree with, what are you doing to put that belief into action? My guest today began our interview by asking me lots of questions questions about the climate of racism in Australia and what's happening in terms of activism for maternal mortality for marginalised groups. And it was clear that I don't really know a lot. I don't claim to know much, but it is really easy as a white woman who birthed in a private hospital in Australia to forget about my privilege and not have to think about these things too much. And that's good to acknowledge because growth is not a comfortable process and we don't make changes just by appealing to each other's egos, right? Sabia Wade is someone who can encourage us all to be less quiet about privilege in birth. Sabia is a radical doula, educator, coach, reproductive justice advocate and the founder of For the Village and Birthing Advocacy Doula Trainings. For the Village provides doula services to underserved families in San Diego with an emphasis on marginalised groups such as people of colour, LGBTQIA and low-income families. So we start our conversation with me referencing the so-called Flora and Fauna Act. Now, I was under the impression that up until the 1967 referendum, 
Aboriginal people in Australia were classified as animals rather than human beings. And in researching this topic, it may appear that this is slightly inaccurate information. As in, the idea of Aboriginal people being classified as fauna was not necessarily part of a formal act, but I don't know, but refers to a speech in the 70s given by Aboriginal filmmaker Lester Bostock. However, like, can we sit in collective agreement that historically and currently Aboriginal people have indeed not been treated well and have been treated like animals? Right, so Xavier and I have a cross-cultural chat about birth and privilege and then we end up in a conversation about koalas and chlamydia. You'll love it. <laughs> you can find Xavier at theblackdoula.com and also on Instagram at theblackdoula. You are more powerful than you know. If birth workers and the people they serve can remember that they are powerful, then we'll change the world. I definitely, I want to ask you a question first. Mm, beautiful. So I want to know in Australia, um, I guess, what is the climate when it comes to racism? Mm. Like what's going on there? What can you tell me, I guess, quickly? Um, I do have some followers who are in Australia that follow me, but you know, racism, I mean, it's a general thing, right? But it looks different in different places. So I would like yeah. to know how it looks like in your area oh it's not good let's put it that way let's put it that way our history i don't know if you know this but up until probably i don't even want to say the year because it's quite recent our indigenous and aboriginal people were classified as under flora and fauna so basically like within like the category of plants and animals so Mm -hmm. that's pretty recent As I said, I won't put a year on it. I wouldn't pretend to be an expert in any of that. Yeah. It's kind of like when people talk about um, like women in voting and you're like, yeah, that was for some women. So, But not all the women, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So there's that. Me personally, I'm in a very, very tiny town where there's not a lot of diversity at all. And I moved from a city before I had kids where it was really quite diverse and I felt good and all of that. But then there was, you know, it just wasn't the place to bring up kids. I couldn't afford the apartment that I was in that went up for sale, yada, yada, yada. So we moved Uh to the country, which is amazing. Green grass, fresh air, all of that. But yeah, it's definitely not very diverse. So part of my, I suppose, raising two kids is having to keep going into the city to keep... Uh different people, different activities, different languages and all of that so that they don't kind of be like how I was. So I grew up on the island of Tasmania, far north, a lot, a lot of white people. (laughs) um, (laughs) The first time I actually ever saw someone who wasn't white was my, what we call a general practitioner in Australia. So I suppose I have a kind of roundabout childhood history of oh okay I just thought right okay so people who are not white are all medical professionals or dentists Uh, or something in health because that was my point of reference but I definitely don't want my kids to sort of be going through school and then university and be like oh wow there's like so many different languages and accents in people and all that and I think part of that is you got to get out of your bubble yeah I agree I agree so when it comes to birth right Mm. because 
what what's going on in Australia when it comes to racism, when it comes to privilege, when it comes to hospitals and all these systems? Like, what are the main things that you see or that are being talked about? Mm. One of the things actually I came across yesterday, which was interesting, is that in terms of how we even report statistics, it's different depending on different states. But so say in Western Australia, their health and privacy laws make it so that when you even look at things like maternal mortality rates, you can't get any information about it. So we have mm. the like how many, but we don't know who, why did they die, what were the circumstances around it or anything like that, which I think is like, ah, that's interesting. So there's a lot of, um, mm -hmm. I would say, activism yeah of. that's crazy yeah. yeah and it happens in the u.s where like i have my students so in my dual training school one of my assignments that i give them is to look up the black infant mortality rates look up the black maternal mortality rates in their area so mm. some people in certain spaces cannot find the statistic mm. so i'm like either people are not actually calculating them because they don't care enough maybe they think their population is not big enough mm. or whatever the reason may be or it takes them forever to find it. Like it's a hidden secret. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and I think that speaks to really the state of our world when it comes to racism and privilege, right? Where yeah. people, you have your people who are going to speak about it and be, you know, outward about it like I am, I guess, right? But then you also have like the part of it that feels like a secret that no one wants to talk about. Mm. But they feel awkward talking about or that you know brings them shame or anger or whatever feelings that they may have and I think it's interesting which is why I focus on this specific topic in my work that in the birth community and in our birth communities all around the world you see it so clearly mm -hmm. right like you see it in the hospitals you see it in the lack of access for people of color to different services yeah. you see it in I mean, even in your example where you can't really see anything, like, I mean, like, mm. it's like, well, why wouldn't this be important to our community to know this information? Like, why wouldn't this be public? Mm. So I think even just that example that you gave me, it really sparked a thought in my head of how racism and privilege is just not spoke about enough, and specifics to our topic, how it was not spoke about um, enough when, in birth right because we know that it's a big deal and we know that universally i mean obviously i'm in the u.s and we have our statistics but this is like an actual like worldwide yeah. thing yeah, right so what so in australia max you all these questions right but no it's cool you're australia, the guest now too like this is how we yeah. get the information like give me the inside yeah. stuff i'm like i know like this much i'm holding like a millimeter yeah, so like in up. Australia, have you seen any like initiatives to um, make impact, you know, when it comes to racism, when it, when it comes to um, birth outcomes? Have you seen any, you know, groups or laws or whatever it is to make change? It's pretty quiet, I have to say. It's pretty quiet. And I think even doing... Um, it's that thing, isn't it? Like, so yeah, of course, privacy information, all of that. But even like finding out the names of people uh -huh. is yeah. challenging. Like, couldn't even find out a name. And so you sort of sit there and go, okay, yeah, respect for families, whatever. But, but is it? Like, 
I don't know. I would like to know the names. And I sometimes mm-hmm. wonder if we printed out photos of all the people who died and shoved them around hospital corridors, mm-hmm. people maybe stop for a second and go, oh, actually, let's stop making jokes about silly birth plans and whatever and go, ah, ah. Because I think it's the erasure stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I definitely think it's an erasure. I mean, even in the US, there's, there's a major erasure of different experiences. And one of the things, so there's a few things that I do, right? Like there's several things that I do, but um, I do my racism and privilege and birth work course, which I do in person. It's like a one day, eight hour workshop. Um, and in that workshop, we talk about how racism and privilege affects birth work, right? So we talk about it in a sense of, yes, we know that we have in the U.S. specifically, um, black birthing people are dying three to four times out of white birthing people. Mm. So we know that for a fact. And I think the gap is even getting wider, which is ridiculous, right? Because we have so much technology, right? We have so many things that are supposed to be in place that can help save lives if people actually just paid attention to you know, black people and gave them the same um, treatment that they would give anyone else. Mm -hmm. So we have that. But then there's also the other side of racism and privilege and how it affects birth work and how it's how it affects the actual people wanting to do the work. So Mm -hmm. the doulas, the midwives, the physicians, um, and please let me know if this rings true to you, but in the U.S., we definitely have a very obvious gap of black and brown people able to do those positions yeah right it's like all these obstacles yeah. so some of the things that I talk about in my class is and we can talk about this is just the obstacles to become a midwife to become a doula to become a OBGYN to become these things like being able to afford school being able to um, access certain things being able to even get admitted into different programs can be a challenge within itself mm. and then the the more like I feel like the more we lack representation in our actual like healthcare providers yeah. the worse our outcomes are mm. so like I think that's a really big piece that sometimes people miss out on when they're talking about the different statistics it's like well who is able to give them the care right because mm. it's so important and there's been studies that show that when your practitioner or your doctor whoever is the same race as you you have a better outcome Mm -hmm. and that goes into understanding what it's like to be black (laughs) right what it's like to be indigenous yeah right understanding the culture that you come from understanding why you eat the food that you eat or why you take care of the baby you know the way that you do the things that you believe in your spirituality like we have to look at people holistically yeah and and one of those things when we talk about looking at someone holistically too, a lot of times what I see, especially with people that are um, afraid to talk about race, mm-hmm. they say holistic, but they don't want to look at that piece. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> because they're like, well, if I say, if I say I'm, I'm holistic, I have a holistic approach, then if I say something about their race and I'm not that race, does that make me racist? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, does that mean I'm pointing it out in a negative way? Or will that person feel comfortably comfortable with me acknowledging that we're different races? Mm. But you have that comes into a holistic like approaches, especially when it comes to trauma informed care. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? How's it going in Australia? <laughs> I think um, yeah, 
all of that, all of that rings true. And I think the thing that's happening at the moment is we have a lot of people in a position of power who keep going back to the, oh, but our maternal mortality statistics are really good compared to, Mm -hmm. so what, six in a thousand as opposed to like 14 or something. Mm -hmm. Like that's still six people. And it's Mm -hmm. the whole, oh, well, that's, that's, it's become, I feel like it's become the ceiling instead of the floor. Like, Mm-hmm. The best thing that we're having for is a healthy baby. And I just think, well, A, what the fuck is a healthy baby? Like a living mm-hmm. baby and a living birthing person? Is that is that the best that we're hoping for? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, just like you said with the ceiling, I think people, and I think everyone is guilty of this, anyone who works in the birth profession, they start to um, accept, medi- like, mediocre, like, I don't know, whatever standards I guess you would say so it's kind of like even when it comes to birth trauma right like especially in a hospital system it's kind of like well they came out alive so it's fine right (laughs) and it's like yeah and it's like Uh, no it's not fine this person has been traumatized like Mm. this is probably for a lot of people going into the birth system as you know that's probably their first time being in a hospital for more than a day yeah. So that can be that can be traumatizing within itself because you're like, this is sterile, this feels weird, whatever the case is. If you then feel inadequate, if you feel like you're not educated enough, if you feel like, um, you know, you're being talked down to, all these different mm. things, and then just talking about the the bodily autonomy piece yeah. of it, where it's like, I don't I don't know what my options are. I feel like I'm being forced into this one thing, or or maybe everything was going beautifully. And then they needed an emergency C-section, yeah. right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's so many things um, that can turn into a, a traumatic experience mm. when birthing. And I think, and also just, I mean, that's uh, so much to talk about, but then you have obstetric violence. Mm. You have, you know, all these things that go into the trauma experience or what could be a trauma, traumatic experience. And I don't think there's enough conversation about like what people see deem as major and minor. So I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of people can um, absorb the fact that someone having an emergency C-section is traumatic, but they, ne- they can't necessarily absorb that um, not feeling in control is also traumatic. You know, like mm-hmm. when they were given their birth choices or making a decision about Pitocin or, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes I see people react to major things it's like oh that's so much trauma whatever but then I see the other side like that wasn't a big deal you're fine you came out alive mm-hmm. and I'm like, that is not it at all it's very at very all. medicalized and I think that's a huge challenge as you say in getting people out of this medical model because birth doesn't fit in a medical model and trauma doesn't fit in a medical model either it doesn't it doesn't mm-hmm. and I think you know when we talk about medical models and we talk about so one of the things i talk about in my actual workshop is in the u.s the history of gynecology and how it started with slaves mm. and how slaves bodies were used to do surgeries to figure out you know new procedures new tools and the doctor that was doing it they actually had anesthesia he still decided to do it without anesthesia mm. and then um so at first he had colleagues that would help him to like hold down the slaves or whatever and then after a while the colleagues were like this is terrible like this is wrong Mm -hmm. so they decided to opt out so 
what they did instead of that was have other slaves hold down each other mm. during these different procedures. Which is and classic so, warfare, really. It's like, it, yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. So now, you know, we're in 2019. And when I see, especially when it comes to Black and brown people not trusting the medical system, I'm like, this shit is yeah, deeply rooted. Of course. Right? It's so deeply rooted. Like, it's literally like in our DNA, like, yeah. genetically. Like, we're like, it is a mistrust for this system because it was built on our torture. Yeah. And it's like really hard. And then, and I see people like, well, that was back then, or, you know, just going to the hospital, it'll be a great experience. And I'm like, how do you know that? For <laughs> you know, and I'm like, mm. for black and brown people specifically, it really comes down to, especially for black people, it really comes down to in the US, I'm afraid that I won't leave the hospital alive. Yeah. Which is a and reasonable fear. And it's reasonable, right? Reasonable. (laughs) And some people, like, if they don't know the statistics, if they don't know, they haven't done any research or any history, you know, I mean, we all go sometimes people are just fearful of hospitals and medical Mm. things and they're scared to die and, like, you know. But, no, it's, like, a real fact Mm. (laughs) that this is a possibility that is not not a distant possibility. Mm. It is a a real walking, like, in-your-face during your whole birthing process, as you're pregnant, thinking about, will I make it to see my child at the end of this? Mm. Which is crazy. It is. And I think sometimes people have really got their head in the sand because I sometimes get comments when I talk about these things. Well, I get unfollows, which is good. I'm like, thank you, bye-bye. But yeah. also the, <laughs> oh, but it's, well, you know, we've come a long way since the dark ages or whatever. It's like, yeah, but let's actually look at... The thing that sometimes we do where people could do the, oh, that just happens to like those women in those countries over mm-hmm. there. I'm like, okay, take that for a second and now look at, is it Indiana now? He's got the same, mm-hmm. yeah, same right. Oh, yeah, it's, it's like, all bad. It's all bad. Strip it's, like, hang on, yeah, hang on. You we're know, going backwards. We are actually Yeah, going we're backwards. a developed country, right? Like the US is a developed country and we're failing. Mm. And we're failing. And I believe due to like all the medical stuff that we have as far as like the interventions 60 percent of maternal deaths could be avoided yeah so that's something that i love to talk about right that we have all these different like you know machines and techniques and these different procedures and we have all this different stuff that we can help with hemorrhage we can help with cardiovascular disease we can help with all these different things and we're still not pre- preventing 60% of the deaths. So mm. we know that technology is not the problem. We know that, you know, we, we're like building these resources for people. So the only problem is the people, yeah. right? <laughs> like, because the yeah. people have to implement these things so that we can prevent these deaths. Mm. So then we kind of backtrack that a little bit. We have to get into implicit bias, right like that has to be one of the biggest conversations which is really interesting in the U.S. right now because we're having a lot of conversation about implicit bias but then like all things and I'm I'm sure this happens over where you are too it it starts to feel like it's trendy (laughs) not that it's like you know like sometimes I like so in California where I live we just passed the law um where I believe it's healthcare providers 
um, have to like work in a hospital systems have to do a mandated implicit bias training, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is great, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's going to provide knowledge for people. It's going to provide um, resources for people, and I and I love that. But then the other question is, well, how are we, how are we going to track that this is working? Yeah, it's the action part. It's the what's well, like the trauma informed is kind of the trendy word. I'm like, okay, you can be mm-hmm. informed, but do absolutely nothing with it. Exactly. I'm informed. I'm informed. I still treat people like shit, but I'm exactly. informed. Exactly. So in Australia, I'm curious, like, is that kind of conversation about implicit bias happening? Or are you still like, we're not even there yet? I would say, I'd say we're not quite there. So what do you think would get you there? mm, A lot more people making a lot more noise. There's a lot of conversations I hear about, I suppose people, particularly midwives, not so much obese, a little bit, but being in that space of, oh, I'm just so scared to lose my job. I'm so scared to speak out because I'm going to lose mm-hmm. my license. It's all the, like, people just being really frightened of being uncomfortable, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I think so, one of the things that I like to tell people, especially when it comes to privilege, right? So we know that privilege is, on the, on the main level, a special advantage that you have not earned, but you have because of whatever identity that you have. Mm-hmm. So there's white privilege, there's heterosexual privilege, there's, like, male privilege, there's all these other privileges, whatever. Um, so what I've, like, what you just said about people just being afraid to speak up, mm-hmm. I talk about this a lot because I have a lot of people who come into my classes and they are wanting to align with anti-racism work, anti-oppression work. They want to do better, be better. They want to have, um, they want to reduce these ridiculous statistics. They want to um, give opportunities to black and brown people, all these great things. But the thing that I noticed, especially when I don't see actual movement happening and I don't see change happening, I notice that they're not willing to take a risk. Mm. right so it's like I know and this is just like a quote but they're like I know that I am privileged because I'm white Mm -hmm. however I still want to comfortably navigate in that privilege Mm. so I'm like well if you're going to navigate comfortably in that privilege then nothing is ever going to change yeah right like we need people of all you know, identities and all races to come together to make noise, to make change. Mm. Because if just the black and brown people in your community are making change, that may not do anything because they've probably been making noise but have been ignored, right? And they've been silenced. Mm. So we need, in every community around the globe, we need white people to use their white privilege to make shit happen. And that's just it, right? So People have to move from what I talk about um, being an ally, which is great. An ally, you know, says I, I, I agree with you. This is this is fucked up, right? <laughs> like, yeah. this is not a good thing. But people need to move from that ally to an accomplice, which means mm-hmm. tell me what I need to do as a white person. Tell me how I should use my privilege. Tell me what letters I need to sign. Tell me who I need to send emails to. Tell me where I need to stand. Tell me. What yeah. I need to tell my boss, tell me what programs we need to implement to make a change. And I'm going to use my white privilege to do that. 
Mm. And it sounds like Australia needs a little bit of that. Mm. <laughs> like, I mean, we're still needing it in the U.S., you know? Like, I mean, it's, it's a universal thing. But one thing that I try to tell people is, like, if you're about, if you're about this mission of really wanting to um, decrease racism and, and use your pro- privilege for like, the mission has to be bigger than you. You can't just operate safely in whiteness and say mm-hmm. that you support the, these black and brown people, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you just, you can't do that because then you're just perpetuating everything that you said that you're against. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think people have to be willing to take a risk. They have to be willing to really do the work and not just talk about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so many people are talking and they're posting and they're sharing and they're doing whatever. But then when you, when the lights are like not on them anymore and they're not posting anymore, they're not doing like the social media or whatever people do, they're not really doing anything. Mm. Right. Yeah. And it's like posting stuff or, you know, saying that you support this is not enough. Like you have to actually be doing something to uplift the voices that need to be heard. Mm-hmm. And the main way to do that is use your white privilege to the benefit of everyone else that doesn't have that privilege. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll go. I'll go on forever because no, keep going. Keep going. No. I love it. I love it. So I think yeah, this so is it. It's the. It's the. I see this in mental health a lot too, where people talk about, oh, the suicide rates for people in healthcare are terrible. It's like, yeah. So then our solution to that would be, let's wear crazy socks to work for awareness. And like, we're aware. (laughs) We are aware. We need more than awareness. Yeah, exactly. Like, you have to actually, like, do something. And something that is probably going to be, you know, out of the box, quote unquote, or something that's probably going to be new. Maybe it'll be people won't agree with it or whatever it is. But you have to actually do something like what we're doing right now or what it seems like we're doing or trying to do is not working. Mm. Right. Like it, it's simply not working because if it was working, then things would be changing. Yeah. Right. And there would be some type of discovery of some new statistics or something, mm. <laughs> but we have yet to see that. And I do see, I mean, like even in my nonprofit, um, I see the changes that, so in my nonprofit um, for the village, I train community members to become doulas for their community. So am I, am I, we're actually working on now doing like a survey so we can actually get some statistics and everything, but we've definitely seen an increase or not, I don't want to say increase, but we've seen a very good um, rate of people especially second time parents because I feel like second time parents give you a lot of information right like first time parents they don't know what to expect so like they give you the experience which is great and it's valuable but like when someone has had a birth without a doula Mm -hmm. who's had experience before who's been in the hospital and then maybe the second time they have a doula or they have a doula and they're birthing outside of the hospital they really give you a lot of like before and after which is really helpful um, but for my second time parents specifically in my organization and, and clients that I work with um, personally, there's such a big difference in their experience when they have a doula, especially when they're black and they have another black and they have a black doula yeah, or whatever they, you know, whatever they identify as. And I see such a big, like they've told me that they have seen a reduction in like the trauma 
right? They've seen a reduction in um, one enter the amount of interventions because <laughs> they're actually they're educated, they know their choices, they have an advocate mm-hmm. in the room, and like really, what one of the greatest statistics is that I see a lot of successful VBACs, mm-hmm. like, and that really makes me happy because I even had one client talking about racism. Actually, she was um in my nonprofit. She, I met her um, at one of these offices and she had two C-sections prior to, she was pregnant with her third, her third child. And so she had two C-sections. The first one, she was young. She didn't even know why they gave her a C-section, right? Which happens a lot, especially with young people. And she's black and, you know, all these assumptions are being made. Then the second one she the doctor told her that her uh pelvis was too small Ah! yeah classic right Mm. told her that her pelvis was too small and um so she like she told me that during her second um delivery second uh, labor she let herself go into labor naturally and then she went to the hospital to get a c-section so I was like, that's really weird that you let yourself go into labor. Because usually when people want a C-section, they're like, let's just get it done. <laughs> I don't need to feel none of these labor pains. Let's yeah. just go on, whatever. And she was like, well, because I just wanted to see how it was felt because I never mm-hmm. got that experience. Yeah. So then I asked her, I was like, I know you're pregnant again, but like, do you want to have a vaginal birth? Like, mm-hmm. it kind of seems like you do. And she was like, yeah, but my doctors tell me that it's not a good idea. And, you know, mm-hmm. all this other stuff, blah, blah, blah. And mind you, she's low income, she's, you know, she's black, all these other things. And so I linked her with one of my uh, nonprofit doulas, actually two of them. They started educating her, giving her like evidence-based information about VBACing after two two cesareans. Um, And then she went to the hospital because she was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm down for this vaginal birth. We're like, doing her on. She went to the hospital and she was in labor everything's progressing everything's going great during her labor literally the nurses were telling her that she was going to kill her baby literally they're telling her like you're going to kill your baby you shouldn't be doing this blah 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 and she like literally during her whole laboring process had to keep like fighting with them and she's like i'm not yeah and she's like i've done my research my child is okay her baby was fine and she was fine and they're happy and healthy and all those different things but like I said she was low coming and she was black and I just wonder what her experience would have been like if she was white Mm -hmm. because I've had white clients Mm -hmm. and my experience with them as their doula like when we step into the hospital system Mm -hmm. is completely different Mm -hmm. I can never see people talk like I've I've never even seen a like a, a doctor or a nurse like raise their voice at my white clients mm. but so i see an it interesting thought just in frequently yeah like i see why it. are we screaming at people in labor like, yeah mm. exactly but even during my last workshop we talked about one of the um doulas she talked about she's a white doula and she serves um low income she serves a lot of people of color and she said one of the things that she noticed through all the births that she's done i mean also she's a student midwife if i'm not incorrect but um she was saying one of the things that she saw was that her black clients didn't get offered or uh didn't get offered as many options mm. nor were they educated about their options as much as her white clients wow yeah and mm. i'm like this is all stuff that people you know from every every background white people are like i see this 
mm. all the time. And she was like, you know, so I made it my duty to be like, well, how about this option? Mm. And then of course the nurse and the doctor were like, oh yeah, well, <laughs> right. So she, <laughs> so the doula, she was just saying like, it's crazy just being in a system where people are, whether it's explicit bias or whether it's implicit bias, but they're assuming that, you know, this black client doesn't deserve these choices or shouldn't know about them. Mm. Or one person said, um, I think she actually knew someone was like, I don't want to waste my time giving, explaining all this to them, <laughs> assuming that they wouldn't understand. Oh. And I'm like, this is what happens. Like, Ugh. this is what happens to black and brown people on a daily basis. Like, mm. being black, if you walk out of the house and you're like, I hope today goes well. Mm. I hope that, you know, when I walk into the store, some lady doesn't fear me just because I'm existing, mm. <laughs> right? Or when I walk to a hospital that I'm going to be acknowledged and I'm going to be taken care of. And that, you know, people are going to tell me all the things that I don't know at the, mm. you know, for my best intentions or their, you know, so it's like all these different things that happen that people have to recognize and understand that it's not a dramatization mm-hmm. like <laughs> this is really happening and then if they're going to be about it they have to be about it a hundred percent with clear thought out actions that are not being built from a place of i'm a white person i feel like i could benefit the world this way because that's like a white savior complex right no, like yeah i'm white i know you know i have this education i have these skills let me put that out because then they'll appreciate it no, you have to actually go to that community community and say, what do you actually need from me? Mm. Right? Like, these are the skills that I have. This is my background. This is what I would love to offer. Is this the right thing to offer? Do you need me to offer something else? Yeah. Like, would you like me to go away need? and mind my business? Exactly. Exactly. And exactly. so people have to have more of those conversations. And it has to be with more than just your token black friend yeah. right <laughs> like yeah. one black person does not represent the whole like you know group of us mm. so and i see that a lot the tokenism like oh i have this black friend or i'm married to a black man and i'm like oh great oh. <laughs> like, congrats mm. um you know like it, the work goes deeper than that Mm. And I'm I'm hoping that in Australia, I don't know, I kind of want to take a trip to Australia. I kind of want you to take a trip too. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm like, because I actually have like, a, a, I wouldn't say a big following from Australia, but I do have several people that follow me, people that are actually in my, um, my full spectrum dual training that are from Australia. So, but it's also one of those things where I'm like, how am I going to be treated? Like, is Australia for black people or it's going to be a lot of assumptions, a lot of bullshit until people realize that like I have a job and I provide for myself. Mm. You know what I mean? Well, maybe you don't know what I mean, but <laughs> like sometimes like just traveling, like is one of those things as a person of color that I have to be like, will this community be accepting of my existence when I step ground mm. in Australia or where do I go? Where don't I go? Yeah, that's a question that would depend entirely on. We, I think Australia's a big place. This is the thing. Yeah. A lot less people, but a big place. Mm-hmm. But I think it would be, I feel like that would kind of be like 
token safe white lady thing to say to be like, oh, you'll be fine. Everyone is going to love you to be amazing. Yeah. I don't know that. I don't <laughs> know that. not true. I, I don't can know that. you that that's not true. Yeah. It would be nice, right? It would be nice for everyone to just be so accepting and loving, but that, that ain't going to happen. It don't happen in California. It don't happen. <laughs> it don't mm. happen anywhere, um, un- unfortunately. So, I don't know, but I do want to come to Australia. My girlfriend wants to come to Australia for some reason. She wants to go, so I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, yeah, I guess. But it sounds like um, Australia could benefit from some really vital conversations. I think people respond, or at least the people I like to surround myself with, respond really well to no bullshit. Right, let's get to mm-hmm. it. okay. Mm-hmm. Yep that's not right that's not right let's just get in and do it because i think the thing with australians is we have this tall poppy thing where if you try and like talk about yourself as if you're someone then people will try and cut you down as soon as possible Mm. so being american puts you in a really good place position to do that because we're like that's what americans do It's so weird how we're like, oh, she's not being rude. She's American. It's okay. Yeah, we're just boisterous <laughs> and in the way. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like going from place like that's my next year goal is to just travel more. So I'm like really interested on how things will, like what I will learn about different places. Um, I know for a fact that America or like the United States in general um, in specific has way bigger food portions because every time I watch TV with someone, <laughs> okay, my, my recent favorite show, my favorite show right now, me and my girlfriend is 90 Day Fiance, like we just binge watch it. So every time someone comes from like, you know, whatever country they're from, they're just like, these plates are just a lot. Like these, this is a lot of food. And I'm like, yeah, this is why Americans are just obese because <laughs> like you know I just look at those little things that I'm like learning from TV because I've been places but not like really outside of the U.S. too far so I'm just like excited to see like the little things that are so much different and how we yeah. even, obviously when I speak to someone who's in Australia the words that you use are different like my girlfriend she always says when we um just watch TV or whatever she's like every other country use such like great vocabulary she's like I just feel so dumb she's like (laughs) like every time I listen or you know I meet someone I just feel like their vocabulary is so much more extensive like I'm saying good and they're saying superb and I feel and I feel dumb and I'm like I don't know I'm like you I think have a way to go if you hop in some public transport in Melbourne with teenagers you'll be fine because it's all like and then I was like and then she was like and I was like oh my god (laughs) and then you were like and we were both like oh my god (laughs) Oh God, I wouldn't be able to deal. But I mean, that it could be that way too. I mean, San Diego. Well, I would say it's more like that, and I say LA is more like that. Mm-hmm. Like Los Angeles is more like that. San Diego is like, it's like okay, this is all like U.S. references. But so LA and New York City are the same. Like they're kind of that same type of city. Just one is in the sun and one is it. Yeah. And then you have like um, Philadelphia which is like smaller, still city, but more homey. And I feel like that's how San Diego is. It's like not as much plastic surgery, okay. but still some, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? 
But you're like, when you go to LA, you're like, oh, wow. Like, everyone looks the same. Everyone's seen the same surgeon. Like, everyone wow. is very, like, they're very, it's a very weird world. I don't, I don't think I can handle it. I know, like, in LA, if you apply for jobs, like, they'll ask you for a headshot. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Is that a security thing? Yeah, it's like, it's like, you know, this whole beauty thing. Like, everything has to be beautiful. People have to be whatever people think is beautiful, quote unquote. And I I decided, like, I was in between, like, do I want to live in LA or San Diego? And I was like, no, San Diego is more down to earth. And that's what I need because I'll lose my mind. (laughs) Like, I will lose my entire (laughs) mind. But the point being is that I'm definitely going to come to Australia probably next year. and I'm excited to see what's there and also to learn like what I think is there that's not actually there. Mm-hmm. Oh, and my friend had a question, so you can answer this for me. Sure, so me and my friend were talking about going to Australia actually last night. And um, they were like, yeah, I want to like see a koala and take a picture with a koala. So then they were like, is that offensive though? Like, is that kind of like the people that like drug up the tigers and take pictures with them? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if there's, like, some type of movement to save koalas or, like, if that's, like, you know, an animal rights issue. Do you know? This is interesting. So, the cliche people often have about Australia is, like, people have kangaroos in their backyard. I actually do because I live in the yeah. <laughs> Not in our town because I think it's a bit cold, but in a couple of towns over there are wild koalas that you would see up in the trees. It's like any other animal. You just wouldn't get yeah. too close and I wouldn't try and pat them. But, like, mm-hmm. at a proper koala sanctuary, because the thing we think about, you'll love this as a birth worker, koalas struggle with chlamydia. Aww. Lots and lots and lots of chlamydia. So they're in, um, it's the kind of like, hmm, are animals safer in a sanctuary or not? In some cases, they probably are, because then at least they're mm-hmm. kind of controlling the, like, putting them The chlamydia the outbreaks? Yeah, the chlamydia koala colony. Mm-hmm. That was hard to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in a koala sanctuary. That's probably more a Queensland thing, which is mm. at the top. Mm. So yeah, I would well, say that's well, okay. You're not going to see any just like in the streets. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll see a kangaroo if we're like in the country. You'd have to go country, country. There won't be any in just like in the Melbourne or Sydney. I mean, I don't yeah. know. I've never seen one in Melbourne. But yeah, that's more like the city, right? Melbourne and city and Sydney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have to go to the. I don't know. I'm not trying to be next to anybody's animal, so it's fine. I just <laughs> maybe take a picture with someone who knows how to, you know, train and help and assist the koala or the kangaroo. I but think like, it's I just the, it's the common sense. Yeah, and they can be yeah. quite aggressive too, and they make really bizarre noises, despite the fact that they look. Oh really yeah, cute. Um, I let animals be animals. I'm like. I'm not gonna mess with you. You don't mess with me, and we live in harmony. Like I'm, I'm good. But did you have any like thoughts, questions, or anything that I? I don't even answer? show how we went from birth trauma to koalas, but I love it. I know. I love it. <laughs> Take time to move today's conversation through your body. Get up, go for a walk, have a shower, dance in your kitchen, cry, do something to shift any tension that might have come up. 
birth trauma training for birth workers course is out now the link is in the show notes and you can also head to drerin.com.au early bird prices will be up until the end of 2019 but as of 2020 the price is going up so don't dawdle hope is a doing word my hope is that warm empathic intuitive workers will stay in birth but we need to do something take a big step and work on some of the fears that you have to stay in the helping and healing professions you need to level up your self-care and support and if you're struggling to even do human 101 with your sleep nourishment rest and so on how are you going to serve anyone you owe it to yourself and the people that you serve to make sure that your cup is running over and you are thriving if you want coaching to live a life that you don't need to escape from, then reach out to me, drerin.com.au, or you can find me at drerinbow on Instagram. Thank you so much for making time for yourself to feel uncomfortable and grow and learn. I love it. Thank you so much for allowing me to speak my passions and do my soul work. <laughs> <laughs>